Hello everyone. Uh, this is the Ethiopians uh, the Coffee People podcast. Uh, welcome to uh, our second special edition uh, episode and this is basically a result of me doing some research and digging uh, on the internet and the like and I came across uh, an article that was written by Klein Warren I think yeah Klein Warren and it was written in March at least published in March uh, 1962 it was written on a magazine a weekly or a monthly magazine that was uh, that's that's that uh, you know that used to be published I think it's still published in different form by the US Department of Agriculture it's part of their uh, you know foreign uh, agriculture service so they still produce like the gain report and they like so this was a weekly magazine uh, that they used to publish uh, but I'll confirm weekly or monthly and so I came across this article and uh, it had a fascinating uh, uh, discussion and the reason I was fascinated is for two reasons one is kind of highlights the value I give to documentation uh, and to some degree my disappointment uh, because for a society like Ethiopia where uh, reading and writing uh, and language beyond spoken uh, has been the norm for a long time that uh, most of our writing outside of the spiritual domain uh, especially in the last uh, since the arrival of modern education in the past hundred years or so has been very disappointing because you still cannot find a lot of books written by Ethiopians for an Ethiopian audience uh, and, and also reading is not really a big part of our culture uh, these days so I'm hoping that you know the professionals uh, that are in different fields start addressing this gap uh, and it is also part of the reason why I, I ventured into writing a coffee book and uh, right now basically uh, it's going to be a book series it's just basically taking different aspects of coffee and reflecting on it with much more analysis and documentation researching and the like so it's it's a, it's a written version of this podcast but uh, in a much more uh, we'll have a you know like a photo uh, stories, recipes, things like that, but it would also be uh, a lot about intellectual discourse as to where things would go. And the second part is actually tied to this, which is uh, I am, a, I was at least extremely uh, taken back by the fact that the the article that was written and the reflection that was made, and though in that article 
it felt like we might as well do it now it's been 60 years almost uh, 58 58 years or so since it was written and it it, it just felt like uh, Ethiopia as a country hasn't done much in the last 58 years that's how I took it the numbers have changed Uh, the the world has changed but the Ethiopian reality seemed like has uh, has been stuck and and that has been uh, disappointing uh, in a way I will reflect quickly on what has changed so in 1962 the Ethiopian population was estimated to be around 20 million it was reflected in the article today uh, we are about 115 so that's uh, almost a six-fold growth and in terms of uh, our economy oh by the way the article was titled Ethiopia broadens its agricultural base and it quickly reflected on you know I might as well read the beginning and the end just to relate to you so it just says you know it said it for many years coffee has been Ethiopia's major export now with world coffee surplus growing and coffee prices weakening Ethiopia is turning to other crops and to associated industries like many other underdeveloped nations this country needs foreign exchange it also needs to raise the life the living standards of its people although the proportion has been even higher in the past coffee still makes about 50 you know 50 percent of ethiopia's export and despite the world coffee predicament ethiopia is working to improve the quality of its coffee in an effort to export much more greater attention however is now being given to increasing the production of other commodities those already being exported hides and skins pulses oil seeds beeswax and meat products and those that must now be imported cotton sugar rice and tea increased production of these is well within reach for ethiopia in a land of great agricultural potential early industrialization centers about the processing of farm products exclusively this is how it started and then the last ending paragraph is even uh, amazing so it just says basically u.s imports from ethiopia are almost all agricultural quantities of such products as hides and skins and crude beeswax in 1960 u.s coffee imports from ethiopia amounted to 24.7 million dollars total imports 27 million dollars the balance of total u.s ethiopian trade has traditionally favored ethiopia eventually ethiopia should be capable of meeting its cotton needs but until such time increasing quantities of cotton must be imported it is expected that efforts to increase U.S. sales of cotton to Ethiopia will run into stiffening competition from Sudan. Ethiopian agricultural exporters do not compete significantly with U.S. products, but 
As current development schemes mature, Ethiopia may well emerge as a sizable surplus producer of meat, oil seeds, and coarse grains. This was how it, this basically how the article ended, with so much hope, and describing the Ethiopian economy uh, at, at that time, the real the reality of it, how we depend a great deal on agricultural products, and how. We are striving to not only increase, increase productivity, but also enter the processing industry side of th things, and also how we would be able to uh, substitute the imports, whether it be cotton, sugar, and the like. Now, 60 years later, literally the status quo remains. Ethiopia is still and agricultural products. Basically, one thing I did after this was, I've looked at it in the past, but never really in this detail. Went back and got the coffee data, uh, downloaded it every year, data from USDA database. Uh, they have a database for different products. And I looked at the coffee side of things. And in 1961, Basically, I did a five-year average. So between 1961 and 65, the average production of coffee in Ethiopia was uh, 124,000 tons. Right now, it's uh, the average, the last five-year average between 2016 and 2020 is 421. So this is about three and a half fold increase. Uh, our population went up sixfold, almost. And export used to be 67,000 uh, tons. Uh, right now, the five-year average is about 229, actually. So you could count it as 230. And domestic consumption used to be about, you know, the average used to be uh, less and right now it's also less so basically right now we're the five-year average is about 191,000 tons and the 1961 was about 50,000 tons uh, this slightly the number in terms of domestic export I disagree it was because I think US, USDA is not really counting the domestic consumption from uh, non-traditional coffee growing areas uh, and they contribute quite significant. Even though they're small in plot and in volume, uh, they at least cover local consumption within rural areas and small town areas. So uh, that, that is happening still. Regardless though, everything has grown. However, the status quo remains the same. So I had to ask, you know, what, what is it that we're not doing right? because population has increased, our productivity has increased. What was interesting was the majority of the coffee that was processed and exported in the 1960s uh, was coffee from, picked from wild uh, forests. And basically it was, uh, it was also at a time where Ethiopia started introducing modern coffee plantations. 
and they were talking how these modern plantations and what would come after that will improve uh, the production system to really uh, benefit a great deal with modern planting, cultivation, pruning, and processing methods. Uh, but there was also one hope reflected, which is the development of uh, the agro-processing industry side of things. What is so fascinating is that because Ethiopia actually doesn't export, you know, th this year uh, we exported uh, about 140 tons. Yes, that's 140 tons. That's like 0.001% of our coffee production. So basically, if you take, you know, if you divide 140 by 220,000 tons, you get the number. That's how much. So the USDA database basically records zero for anything but green. So that's how negligible it is. So what went wrong? That's a key question I think that all of us need to reflect on. And I'm hoping that it's not just me reflecting. Uh, I have reflected because I, I you know, for me in my uh, looking at data from the past 20, 25 years, uh, I thought a lot was done. But when I looked at it in the grand scheme of things, uh, maybe I should question uh, a lot more and so one of the things I did was okay so a little bit of history about Ethiopia in the 1960s Ethiopia was an absolute monarch system so it was dictatorship uh, but not by the gun but uh, well the Emperor believed that he was appointed by God to lead the country so and uh, so it's monarchy uh, and land used to be uh, in the hands of the church or the aristocracy and there, there were a lot of attempts uh, until that time uh, to do a lot of land reforms but never really happened so in 1974 when a, a coup d'etat happened against the emperor Part of the reason was that. So basically I took the data from 1961 up to 1975 uh, and analyzed that separately, uh, just in terms of production, domestic and export, you know, domestic use and export. And the second part I looked at was uh, after the coup d'etat, a military regime uh, came to run the country. Uh, this just was another form of dictatorship. And, and looked at that. And uh, the military regime was overthrown in uh, 1991. So basically what I did was from 1975 all the way up to 1990 since I did a five-year phase once. And so the 1976 uh, to 1990. The other data I looked at was from 91 to 2005 because 
2005 was one is 15 years anniversary of uh, so 1991 uh, you know there was a civil war rebels won the current uh, system was set up by the rebels that won and their allies it's a federal government structure ethno and cultural and linguistic based federalism and they've implemented a pseudo free economy kind of system uh, that is you know it's a hybrid of a lot of systems it feels like china sometimes because there was a lot of state investment actually the major investment was done by the state to this day all the infrastructure all the projects all the capital investment you see in ethiopia is a state-led and right now the reform that is happening is actually to change that so that there is a, a lot of private-led investments and it is part of the reason why we're now trying to privatize uh, the ethio telecom the because there's only there's only a monopoly in ethiopia the, uh, Ethiopia is the last place in the world as, as, as there might be small countries but a large country like ours to have an, a monopoly on uh, telecommunication uh, Ethiopia is the last country and uh, there are people who see it as a positive thing uh, as for me uh, um, how can I put this it's uh, when I realize how much I have to go through to get my money, my resources, and use them for business related activities and how difficult that is. And on the other hand, I also travel and work in Kenya and other places and how easy it is for me to receive money, pay and things like that through Safaricom M-Pesa platform. That's when I know how restrictive it is because I can't make my money work for me in Ethiopia and I can literally do anything I please including get loans with quick turnaround in Kenya. And I'm not even a Kenyan citizen. That's how open the platform and the system is. I just need to be someone with a legal ID to show my, you know, I show my passport, I get my SIM card. Using SIM's card, I open an M-Pesa account. With that M-Pesa account, I can make payments, receive payments and the like. And th that's how transformative is telecommunication. Safaricom is not a bank. And it basically, reaching out to the unbankables. And for me, I rather empower citizens. Uh, you know, the, when you have 100 million plus, 115 million people, then you really need to look at it from empowering citizens to do what's best for them. That's how I look at the telecommunication part of things. And at the end of the day, we live in a global world anyway, regardless of COVID-19 and others. So how do you accommodate that is another question. And this actually plays very well with coffee because for me, 
when you talk to people in Ethiopia today, and this is also a criticism of our development partners and the people who run our government, uh, because obviously you cannot uh, blame the farmers that grow coffee for two reasons. One, Ethiopia introduced some form of regulatory framework for coffee in 1957. That's when the National Coffee Board at that time was established. Uh, you know, it has been placed in different uh, uh, legal arrangements or frameworks, but Ethiopian government has always regulated coffee since then. So, if you have not moved the bar in the right direction, then it's up to you to take the responsibility to say you've done wrong. So in the last 60 years, Ethiopia has barely moved the bar in terms of production. It might seem a lot to grow three and a half folds. However, if we just maintained in parallel with our population growth in terms of our coffee productivity, then we should have grown it about sixfold. But we have not. Two, the amount of processed coffee, meaning that either roasted, ground, or soluble, is nil, zero, from 1962 to today. then how come? Is that the question? And it's not for lack of incentives. It's not for lack of discourse. It's not for lack of lip service. Ethiopia has always given lip service to this side of things. However, there are a few things that I will reflect on before uh, my 30 minute mark is up. Is that Ethiopia has misunderstood as far as I'm concerned, that is, how supply and demand play out in the priorities that you set. If you remember in the, when I read the article, uh, it reflected quickly in terms of how, you know, uh, coffee in the world is basically, you know, uh, one, surplus coffee growing, and two, coffee price weakening. That still is the norm. You know, 1962, Vietnam wasn't even around. Now it's the second world uh, coffee producing country uh, in the world, the second largest. So, in terms of looking at you know, the different phases that I described. In almost all the governments, forms of governments that took over, productivity went up. It went up less during the military regime, uh, but it grew anyway. When the military regime came, it was about 178, the first five-year average. And then 178,000 tons. In the second, in the last five years of its, uh, you know, in power, it was about 
uh, between 1986 and 1990 was about 186,000 tons. And also, that was also the time where the global coffee agreement was ending. You know, the, there, w- there used to be a quota system in terms of which country sells how much and this like that. So once coffee became liberalized from 1991 and further, I think the liberalization went out, I think, in the, in the 1980s, uh, 89 or 90. So, And looking at the data, the first uh, 15 years between 1991 and 2005, just same status, like 210,000 tons the first five years, and then the last five years between 2001 and 2005 was 217. So the regime that, you know, all these regimes talk about how different they are from each other, but looking at the coffee data, they might as well be the same. There has been significant improvement though in terms of productivity in the last 15 years, since 2006 and 2020. Um, In 2006 uh, to 2010, the five-year average was about 312 tons, 1,000 tons. Uh, Right now, it's about uh, 420. So that's uh, quite a steep uh, development. However, during this time, export has improved, domestic consumption has improved as well. it begs, there's one question that I, I've been, uh, you know, wanting to ask because roasting in Ethiopia is nothing new and modern roasting has happened since uh, the late 1950s, uh, you know, with roasting machines and things like that before it was uh, home roasted. And we're still not exporting though. You know, 150 tons, this, that, you know. Actually, the, the, when, when we take it into a grand scheme of things, how much coffee we produce, we shouldn't even talk about it. We shouldn't even talk about how much it exists. However, we do produce thousands of tons of roasted coffee products domestically for the domestic consumption. And in looking at all the years, of the Ethiopian data since the 1960s. Uh, There has never been a situation where growth in domestic consumption has made it worse for export. So right now, the reason I bring this up is because Ethiopia has a law that says all export standard coffees, once they reach the processing facility anywhere, basically have to be exported out. It's a legally mandatory clause. What this does is automatically is that it doesn't allow for domestic coffee processors to have access to export standard, good quality coffee for the domestic market. So there's this uh, mechanism where they separated the two markets completely, which is strange because other coffee producing countries try very hard to encourage domestic consumption because one globally there is coffee surplus and two prices has been weak so for 60 years the coffee reality has remained the same 
and the way I look at things is that if you're doing the same thing year after year to address the same problem and the problem is not being solved or you pretend that you're doing something different but you're not because your results are telling you if your results are not giving you something different they're just basically giving you same outcomes then maybe you're not doing anything that different maybe the words you're using might be different so and there has been a lot of investment in the coffee sector don't get me wrong you know not what it should be or the way it should be done but you know right now there are multi-million dollar projects being pumped into the coffee industry in lots of ways or shapes or form however two priorities productivity quality for what green so basically a problem that was identified in 1962 which also remains today the suggested solution being some completely different at that point basically regardless of what takes place industrialization and agro-processing was was suggested and it's not happening so we need to ask the hard question and which is why if people are not bothered by the fact that we have been unable to change a system a coffee system in 60 years then this episode is not for you but if you're bothered by it then you need to ask more questions to understand why and I haven't found the answer yet but I do have some you know suggestions in terms of based on the preliminary assessments I've done and this is if us you know taking advantage of our domestic market is one of the things because we have not Ethiopia basically abuses its domestic market in every shape or form the only time it considers the domestic market is when it cannot when it's basically difficult for it to get rid of the stocks in its sand that it allows for domestic sales so it's basically the dumping ground of coffee in Ethiopia first sell the bad ones second you'll sell the good ones if no one is buying them And you cannot change a system when you have such an attitude to a market that is basically where other coffee producing countries are trying to develop. If you look at Brazil and how it reached today uh, in terms of having a big domestic market where it consumes a lot of its coffee, it's actually second to the US if not bigger. Is that they actually invested in the promotion of domestic consumption so if the world doesn't want to drink Brazilian coffee as much as it has it still has a good domestic market to absorb it and yes 
the volume is not going to be where they will take everything that Brazil has to offer. But basically, you're giving a cushion to your domestic production because now there is a competitive market, both domestically, that will force and put pressure on the global market. Because if the global market doesn't want as much as it the coffee that Ethiopia has to offer, then your domestic one might even compete directly with it. And it will, because Ethiopia has been slowly growing economically. There's a lot more people that could afford to drink coffee in Ethiopia, quality ones. And the second part that's very different and from other places is that in Ethiopia, I've touched upon it in the past, a daily laborer, a farmer, an office manager, and the you know the millionaire that does property development in Addis, uh, maybe even invests in Dubai in the U.S., they all drink coffee. That's the one thing they got in common. In Ethiopia, coffee is a social equalizer. So we know that they're gonna drink it anyway. So how do I use that as a question that needs to be asked, and that needs to be answered? Because every government, a monarch, autocrat, dictator, a military, one-party system, dictatorship, and a single-party autocratic government of 30 years, in total, almost 60 years of our coffee history, has not changed the status quo of coffee. And they all pretended that they did something different from the from their predecessors. The outcome tells us, though, they have not. The coffee dynamic, the coffee dynamics in Ethiopia remains the same. So maybe if we want a different outcome, maybe we need to try something different. So whatever you have done in the past, maybe it's about time to pull them together, prepare a nice metal bucket, put all your previous strategies and whatever we think is amazing of the past, and then put it in that metal bucket, put a little bit of gasoline and light it up and start fresh. Because 60 years of hard work in terms of time, in terms of money, in terms of the well-being of smallholder farmers has not resulted in an outcome that we want. We're still talking about coffee the way we talked about in the 1960s. And there is no one to blame except us because everything else has stayed the same the market dynamics globally has stayed the same if not gotten worse but we are responding the same way year after year so maybe we need to question our system and on that note uh, this is my birthday reflection this is my first weekend after celebrating my 42nd birthday on the 28th of may and it was a blast today i had a barbecue happening 
and I had an awesome coffee and of course I enjoyed uh, a honey wine that I make with uh, it's basically coffee infused so it, it was delicious you know and uh, of course I had to add uh, some ruta and rosemary and some uh, hops to make the fermentation happen some four weeks ago and it was an awesome tasting one so on that note I, I leave you today I took a little bit of extra time uh, but it needed to be said and you know this basically is try to make it impersonal because if three two generations in a time of 60 years have done nothing that is really miraculous when it comes to coffee then we just need to go back to the drawing board and articulate a new plan start fresh and maybe start with the assumption that we don't know thank you again enjoy your weekend it's almost done but Maybe in some places it's only beginning, uh, Sunday morning. So have a good one and thank you. Ciao.